Good morning. We're going to be wrapping up our very, very long series on deception in the church by talking about judging, the subject of judging. Probably a very, very controversial subject, a very difficult subject, but a very, very important subject for each individual believer to get their head around because there is so much accusation out and about there with regards to whenever we speak against a false prophet or a false apostle or a wolf in sheep's clothing, we get shut down by saying that we're not allowed to judge. So what we're going to do in the next one or two sermons as we shut down this series is look at the biblical concept of judging. Now, there is a tremendous amount of ignorance out there with regards to this subject. And the problem with ignorance is whether you're ignorant on a subject or not, it's still going to cost you dearly if you are getting hammered within that area. And so what we've got is a lot of ignorance out there where Christians are getting hammered by not being able to judge when they can. And then there was a lot of disobedience out there because people don't know how to exercise judgment properly. So we're going to look at it. So the big question is, tongue-in-cheek, to judge or not to judge? First, first thing we're going to look at are scriptures that speak against judging. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 to 5. Before I go on, I just need to give acknowledgement to Derek Prince. And um, through the years, I've basically relied heavily in this subject on his teachings. And so, generally speaking, it's, it's, it's him. And then the other aspect that I've used when I'm developing the, my, my understanding of judgment is in the church that I grew up in and was trained in the Full Gospel Church of God in Southern Africa, Pentecostal Church in Southern Africa, uh, I use their constitution to basically understand the implementation of discipline within the church. And so I've used those two areas basically to formulate my understanding on how to judge and how not to judge, where, when, who, what, etc. with regards to the subject. So Jesus is pretty clear here in terms of telling people not to judge. Now, there are a couple of things that will happen to you with regards to judging, and we are all guilty of this. When we judge people, people are going to come back and judge us according to the same standard by which we've judged. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So they're going to, they're going to come back at us. The second thing is, in judging other people, the standard on which we apply to someone else's life is the same standard God is going to apply to our lives. So we need to be very clear on that. It's happened in our lives. Now we've got to sit with it. Romans chapter 2 verse 1 to 3, Paul begins speaking on judgment. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whatever you are who judge, 
For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Have you ever noticed that it's actually religious people that do a lot of the judging? And unfortunately, you'll find out that more often than not, the more they judge, the more they stand in the wrong. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 1 to 4. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let, it, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him... Not, uh, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Going on further in this chapter from verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? Now, I want you to notice that. I'm going to bring this back up again later. Contempt and judgment. So when you are in contempt for someone else, you're actually judging them. Let me go again over that verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1, Paul writes, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. That is an incredible verse of scripture that. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this what a remarkable statement let me read verse 3 again with me it is a very small thing that i should be judged by you or by a human court in fact i do not even judge myself all right he doesn't even justify himself it does not you know if, if you judge me it's not going to prove my righteousness if i judge me it's not going to prove my righteousness Verse 4 and 5, he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveals the counsels of the heart. Then each man, each one's praise will come from God. What a powerful verse of scripture. I'll come back to that later. James 4, 11 to 12, another verse, another couple of verses here with regards to not judging. Now, this is interesting because it relates negative speech, enemy weapons to judging. So, gossip, slander, character assassination, contempt for one another, etc., etc. That's a form of judgment. Let's see what James says. 
verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. Wow! But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? So speaking of evil or using satanic weapons to tear down another brother, gossip, slander, etc., is actually judging the believer. And you're not only judging the believer, you're actually judging the law of God. What scriptures now promote judging? Jesus speaks of his claim as a Messiah in John 7.24. He says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Okay, so we've got to judge with righteous judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he has done this deed that might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in the body, listen to this, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that, he may, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1-5. Notice that Paul says he has already judged this person even though he is not there present. So a judgment can be released onto a person even though you are not in the vicinity, the personal presence of that person. The next thing that you've got to notice about this is that the judgment is very, very severe. You know, the handing or the delivering of a person over to Satan. 1 Corinthians 5, 11 to 13. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetousness or an idolater or a reveler, who uses abusive language, a drunkard, extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do not judge those, do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. A couple of things you need to pick up here. Unbelievers are, I believe, those who are outside, and we do not judge them. God judges them. Believers are those who are inside. We are not to judge anybody outside of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1 to 4. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things to, uh, to, to pertaining to this life, do you appoint those to judge who are least esteemed by the church to judge? 1 Corinthians 6, 
1 to 4. Let's read on. 6 to 7, verse 6 to 7. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to the law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? There's the two points here I want you to pick out. It's wrong for a Christian to take another Christian into the law system, suing them of the world. The second thing is that Christians are required to judge internal disputes amongst themselves and they have Jesus' words as laid out in Matthew chapter 18, 15 to 17, which illustrates the, the escalation of matters between believers to ultimate judgment. This is what Jesus says, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. That means if it's resolved. If it's not resolved, you escalate it to verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if it refuses to tell them, tell it to the church. So, if it's not resolved at level two, then you go before the whole body. Remember, earlier on I spoke to you about the body of Christ being the ultimate uh, area where, where judgment of believers will take place. So this is, a, this is a dispute between believers. And if it cannot be settled, it gets taken to the church. The church then has to hear the matter. The whole body of Christ has to hear the matter. And then they have to give a judgment on what takes place. Now, if the person who is sinning does not accept the judgment and rushes out of the church, then verse 17 has to take place as a part of the judgment of the church. Unfortunately, because I've said earlier on, in ignorance... A lot of people don't follow these practices. That is why you've got a lot of people running around from church to church who have been under discipline or who are running ahead of discipline that are not getting their issues dealt with because the church doesn't judge correctly. So in verse 17, once the church has issued judgment and the person does not listen, this is what happens. Verse 17, if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Okay, so effectively, the person who does not listen, all right, to the decision of the church, loses his right to be treated as a Christian, as a believer, by other believers. Sadly, in all my ministry, I've, I've seen the opposite to, to be true. I've seen the fact that when people are in rebellion, they'll run to another church and that church will just accept them. And in that acceptance, disputes will rise between church and church and there'll be a lot of you know, behind the scenes, negative word judging that goes on. Not, not a good situation. Right, let's move on. What are we not to judge? Okay, this is important. What are we to judge? What are we not to judge? Once we gain an understanding of this, it will become a lot clearer. We are not responsible 
to judge a person's character, including our own character, and give a final evaluation on what takes place within that judgment. Okay, so once you understand that, it's, it, it's, it's going to release you in terms of a weight that you might be carrying. You are not responsible to judge your character, your personality. You are not responsible to judge anybody else's character or anybody else's personality. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and look at verse 1 and 2. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. The word steward implies ruling and when you rule, you judge. A steward is a manager, so a manager or a steward looks after the property that belongs to somebody else. And so the steward will give an account to the owner of the property of how he has managed or stewarded that property. He will be judged according to whether he was faithful or not. And so Paul is saying that, he, you know, my fellow ministers and I will be judged for whether we've been faithful Stewards to the mysteries of God. Verse 3 he continues and he says. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Or by a human court. In fact I do not even judge myself. So. Paul is saying. You're not to judge me. I'm not to judge you. I'm not even to judge myself. This particular area of judgment rests only in the hands of God. We are not required to make a final evaluation or an absolute value of anyone, including ourselves. Look at verse 4. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4.4 4. Okay? We are not responsible for the final evaluation on someone else's character and on our character that belongs to him. He is the final judge on that. Verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of our heart. So we are not even to judge or even go into this area before the time, before the judgment seat of Christ. He is the only one who basically has the right and has the qualifications to judge a person's character. And, 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 and because he is the only one that can see into the very depths of their heart. Okay, only God. Finally, Paul says in verse 5, then each one's praise will come from God. That's fantastic. Remember, the ultimate purpose of God judging his people is to, is to praise us and to reward us for every good thing that we have done. So, wait for that moment. Let's move on. Who are, we, who are we responsible to judge? 
The first area, now there are three areas of responsibility, or three groups. The first group is ourselves, the second group is our family, and the third group is the church. So let's look at ourselves first. We are responsible to judge our own personal behavior and our interpersonal relationships. Okay, a judgment of conduct, not of character. How am I behaving and how am I dealing with my interpersonal relationships? That's the area and responsibility on which I need to judge myself. The level that I apply of judgment is not based on how I'm feeling. It's not based on society. It's not based on my own estimation. Because every single one of those can vary from time to time. I might be on top of the mountain one day and feeling really good. And then I will judge myself very well. But when I'm feeling depressed, I think I'm the worst thing that crawled out of the slump pit according to the evolutionists. Uh, I don't believe in evolution, by the way. The opinions of society, well, the opinions of society, society is getting worse. And the the moral levels of behavior are, are going from bad to worse. And for me to judge myself according to those levels, basically I'll be walking in complete violation and opposite to the truth of the word of God my own estimation no not going to do that the only level or measure that I can apply is the word of God now you've got to remember that the father has handed responsibility for judging over to the son and the son has now delegated that responsibility to the word of God and so you are going to be judged According to the word of God. That's the standard. That standard doesn't move. It's an absolute standard. And so it's a sure certain way. In which you can continually and persistently. Irrespective of personal feelings. Your own estimation or society. You can maintain an absolute standard. Of behavior and apply it to yourself. Now Paul talks about the communion table in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and it's very very interesting 1 Corinthians 11:28 to 32 and he gives us instructions on what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it so verse 28 says this let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup we are warned to examine ourselves we are warned to judge ourselves by the standard of the Word of God. Never ever take communion until you have judged yourself and your interpersonal relationships. Verse 29 to 30. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, in a manner that is that you've not judged yourself, eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body so if you don't judge yourselves and you partake of the communion table you are going to be judged alright and the judgment that's going to come is in verse 30 for this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep 
untimely death. This is serious. We need to continually examine ourselves before we break bread, before we, 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 we partake of communion, the Lord's Supper. If we don't, sickness, untimely death. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Okay, if we judge ourselves, God is not going to judge us. But if we do not judge ourselves and we partake of the Lord's Supper, then God is going to judge us. And the judgment, the consequence of the judgment will be sickness and will be untimely death. Look, we've all messed up before the Lord. We're all sinners before the Lord. And we just thank God for His grace and mercy and for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and the blood of Jesus. And so we, we have a place to go to. 1 John 1, nine repentance. Go into the process of repentance. So there are three things we need to look at. Number one, when we come before the Lord's table, judge yourself, then you're not under God's judgment. Number two, if you fail to judge yourself and you do come under God's judgment, default to 1 John 1, nine repent. Number three, if you come under judgment and you fail to repent, know this, you will be judged as an unbeliever, with the unbelievers. Each of us has experienced these judgments in one form or another, but God is merciful and he will forgive us if we confess our sins. God judged the Christians in Corinth and a lot of them were sick and a lot of them had died before their time. Now, I want you to think about this. I'm not saying all death is the judgment of God, although all death is the consequence of sin, the consequence of sin in our lives. But we need to be very, very careful when we go and pray for people, you know, that we might, not, we might be praying for God's healing when God is actually bringing judgment upon that person because they are walking in an unjudged state. They are not judging themselves, their behavior, and their interpersonal relationships. So we are responsible, personally, to judge our own behavior and our own interpersonal relationships. And we are to use the Word of God as the plumb line, the measure in which to judge ourselves and in which to live. And then God will not judge us. The second group is judging others. So the first group that we are to judge or the first area we are to judge and we have the authority to judge is ourselves and our behavior. The second group relates to the people that we rule. Stewards, remember? We are stewards. When you rule something or given responsibility over an area, you are to judge. So the first area of responsibility, for instance, is a husband and a father, and he will be responsible for ruling and judging his house together with his wife, the helpmeet. Okay? God ultimately will summon the heads of the home, the priests of the home, before him first. And they will have to give an account on how they have discipled their family. And they will have to present 
each member of their family before the Lord. Lord, you gave me this beautiful wife. I now present her a beautiful bride without blemish. Or I present her subject of domestic violence. Do you see what I'm getting at? Same with children. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4 to 5, Timothy is speaking about the qualifications of eldership and deacons. People going into the church, into public ministry as leaders. Now, one of the major qualifications for them entering into ministry is that they rule their houses well. Here it is. One who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So a man's family basically is his testing ground. It's where he gets apprenticed in terms of being able to rule and judge. Can he rule and judge his household effectively? Does his wife and children, husband and children, reflect a person who is judged and lived according to the word of God? And are they a mirror image of him? Are they reflecting that within their lives? And so there is a direct relationship between a man's position in his family and a man's position as an elder and to a lesser extent as a deacon within the church. Each is ruling within the area of responsibility and judging within the area of responsibility in which they've stepped up. And so he must judge conduct, he must judge behavior as it affects welfare. And then if he can do it in his home, then obviously it's one of the criteria in terms of doing it within the local church. Now, the next area that is judging is given is the area of the church. The highest level or highest court within the church is when a full church gathers together. All the believers of the body gather together. And that effectively is what governs and rules the church. Although elders and stuff will govern and rule within the areas of authority as well. Now leaders are expected to lead and to judge those whom they lead. Hebrews 13.7 and Hebrews 13.17 address church members and within that address it indicates and shows us what is expected of leaders. Verse 7, remember those who rule over you or who lead you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct, that is the results you see in their lives. Now, expectation Judgment. Verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. So there is a clear picture here, clear of, of church leadership as, it is, as they are expected to exercise authority and they have to maintain discipline in the church. They've got to maintain behavior 
within the church. They've got to maintain a standard, a biblical standard of behavior and expectation of the Lord amongst the body of believers. Now, although, as I've said earlier, the church is under the leadership of elders and deacons, the final responsibility of judgment rests not only with the leaders, but rests with the whole body of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we've spoken to you about that in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus talks about that. Right, I'm going to end it off there, and we'll continue on with the two areas of of where we are able to judge, which is the area of moral behavior and the area of doctrinal error, and we'll do that next week. Thank you, God bless. 